are saved. Question is, do you have assurance of that salvation, that blessed assurance? And if not, why not? And if not, how do you procure it? How do you obtain this blessed assurance? Well, the Apostle Paul talks about that here in Romans. And that is where we catch up with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, for today's program. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. That is how the hymn writer speaks of blessed assurance. So just exactly what is this assurance? Why is it blessed? And how do we know we have this assurance of salvation? That's what we're talking about today here on Graceful Truth from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Welcome to our program. Let's catch up with Pastor Steve Converse now for today's broadcast. When Paul writes here, those who are led by the Spirit of God, he is making a mark in the sand, a line in the sand. And he's distinguishing between those who are led by the Spirit and those who are led by what? The flesh. Or not led by the Spirit. So if he's making that mark there and he's, he's pointing this out that those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God, then there must be a segment of society that is not led by the Spirit and therefore they're not sons of God. They're not God's spiritual children. Look over at John chapter 8 verse 31. Thank you with me because we see this very clearly from our own Lord's mouth himself. John chapter 8 verse 31. Now, here Jesus had been teaching the people. He made kind of a similar statement to what the Apostle Paul was saying here in Romans. He says in verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered Jesus in verse 33, and they said, We are of the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. You see them speaking out in their pride, right? How is it that you say you will become free? They're saying, We're not, we're not held captive by anybody. Jesus answered them. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And then he clarifies, he says, I know that you're the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered almost in protest, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would not be doing the, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. So they just kind of brought up his whole deal with Mary and Joseph and kind of threw some mud on our Lord there. He says, we have one father, even God. 
Verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Is it because you cannot hear? Bear to hear my word? Verse 44, Jesus draws the line in the sand. He says, you are of your father who? The devil. And your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him when he speaks Lies. He speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is born of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is what? You are not of God. Very clear teaching that our Lord laid down. He's saying not everyone is a member of God's family. Some have a different father. Usually because you're tied to a family through your father, keep your father's name, he's pointing out to them that, you know what, your father's the devil because you don't hear the truth and follow the truth or listen to the truth. I mean, you can't say it any clearer than that. So don't buy into the liberal thinking that, well, we're all members of God's family and maybe we all just use different roads to get there. That's a lie that will take you to hell every time. The last time I checked, Jesus says, I am the way, what? The truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. There's no back door. There's no side door. There's no trap door. You don't need to pray that God would reveal a new way. For your spiritual pilgrimage, he's already revealed the way, the truth, and the life. If you don't come through him, you will not come to God. You will not secure for yourself eternal salvation. And when you meet God one day and you say, Lord, Lord, he'll say, what? I don't even know who you are. Because you didn't come to me in the prescribed manner that was revealed to you through my word. So not everyone is a member of God's family. And this is important to understand because next week we're going to talk a little bit about adoption and what that whole process looks like when it comes to us being adopted into God's family. But the second point here, the second spiritual truth that is important, number one, not everyone is a member of God's family, but number two, all Christians are members of God's family. All Christians are members of God's family. Well, what does this involve? Coming to Christ always involves a radical change first of all it involves a radical change to become a child of god means that an individual has experienced the most radical and profound change possible it's not that they changed themselves that change was put on them i mean when you stop and think about it before a person becomes a son or a daughter of god he or she is not a member of god's family at all but as a member of the devil's family, because there's only two families. Either you're in God's family or you're in Satan's family. When Paul spoke of this in Romans, he used the term, either you're in Christ or you're where? In Adam. You can't be both places. You can't straddle the fence. You can't have one arm in, one arm out. It doesn't work that way. Either you're in Christ or you're not. And so to be in Adam is Paul, to use the terminology of Paul earlier on in the book, 
means to be in sin, to be a slave of wickedness, to be under divine judgment, to be destined to eternal judgment and death forever in hell. But the opposite of that, to be in Christ, is just the reverse. It means to be delivered from sin and from judgment, to be growing in holiness, to possess eternal life in heaven with God forever. I mean, that's a radical change. That's a change that passes us from the state of slavery to the state of being free in Christ. As Daniel was showing those slides earlier of those people whose lives have been changed, those were radical transformations. See, that's, that's what we have to believe happens when someone comes to Christ. So many times we grab somebody, we pray a little prayer with them, and then we're so quick to throw them in the tank and baptize them and call them a Christian, and nothing's changed in their life. They uttered some words. Maybe they were well-meaning. Maybe they weren't. We don't know. See, we have to see that, that radical transformation takes place. And you say, well, doesn't that happen over time? I don't know. Show me in the scriptures where it happens over time. Usually it's immediate. Usually that radical change, when Christ comes into the heart of someone, when Christ comes into the life of someone, there's a radical change. Now that doesn't mean they're, they're everything they're ever going to be in Christ because we're ever growing, right, in our sanctification. We're ever growing in our relationship with others and the body of Christ and with Christ. But there should be a difference. If there's no difference, there's probably no change. No Jesus, no change. No change, no Jesus. It's real simple. That's why it's good when you're sharing the gospel with somebody that we don't dumb down the gospel. We don't, we don't make it, you know, something that's, you know, appealing to them. The last time I checked, the Bible says that the cross is an offense. It's not something that people are going to run to and say, oh, yes, I just want to give my life to Jesus so I can suffer for him the rest of my life. That's the exception. That's not the rule. So unfortunately, especially here in America, the church has taken the gospel, which is really a hard message. I mean, when Jesus shared the gospel with people, a lot of times he had thousands of people following him. And on occasion, he would turn around and he would tell the crowd, you know what, if you want to follow me, great. But here's the conditions, right? Deny yourself, take up your own cross, an instrument of death, not some little gold thing they hung around their neck. And then you can follow me. Or if you want to follow me, you know what? Your love for your own family should seem as hatred in comparison to your love for me. Wow. It's amazing how we feel as Christians and as the church, we have to take a gospel that is, is very clear. I mean, Jesus wasn't talking in, in vague terms when, when he would tell people these things. I think that we, we forget on occasion what it truly means to follow Christ. What does that truly mean? Um, I, I rem, I'm reminded in, in Luke where the end of chapter 9, this is after Jesus fed all the folks a little earlier. Their stomachs were full. And all these people were following Jesus. And him and his disciples were going down the road, it says in verse 57. And someone ran up to our Savior and he said, I will follow you wherever you'll go. <laughs> and Jesus turned to him and said, oh, great, 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 glad to have you on board. No, he didn't say that. Look at what he says in verse 58. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes. Okay. Birds of the air have nests. All right. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. 
What in the world does that mean? It means this individual saw the entourage following Jesus and thought, you know what? I don't know where he's going, but I'm sure when he gets near Jerusalem, he's staying in the finest hotel there is there, the Jerusalem Hilton. I need to get on board with this. I'm living in a shack. So you know what, Jesus? I'll follow you. I'll follow you. I'll follow you. Me, me, me. Pick me. Pick me. And Jesus turns to him and says, you know what? You don't even know what you're asking for. I don't have any place to go. I don't have any place to lay my head tonight. And the indication is that that person didn't follow Jesus because he went to Jesus for the wrong motive. And then it says in verse 59, I call that guy Mr. Too Hasty. <laughs> you know, sometimes people just want to come to Jesus for their own felt needs. Their life's in shambles. Their marriage is on the rocks. Their kids are disobedient. <clears throat> they have alcohol and drug abuse issues. And they think somehow if they come to Jesus, he's going to make everything good. Everything's just going to miraculously going, be going, going away. They're not coming to Jesus because they're a wretched sinner and they realize that Christ is the only Savior. They're coming to Jesus to fix their problems. The last time I checked, that's not why we come to Jesus. Now, will Jesus fix our problems? Some of them. I think he'll give us a supernatural power if we come to Christ to deal with the problems we have in our life. He doesn't claim anywhere that, you know what, miraculously all your problems are just going to go away when you become a Christian. That's not what the gospel says. Matter of fact, the gospel, the true gospel says just the opposite. Jesus says, oh, you want to follow me? Well, you better prepare to suffer. (laughs) Look at what they did to me. Wait till they get their hands on you. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to go through trials, tribulations. Do we need to think about these things when we're sharing the gospel with others? Verse 59, to another one, Jesus said, follow me. But this guy says, oh, let me go first bury my father. You think, well, okay. That's not an unreasonable request, is it? Well, tradition tells us that his father wasn't even dead yet. In other words, he's saying, hey, you know what? My dad's getting older. He's got an estate. Jesus, you know, if I, if I come and follow you right now, I'm not going to have any of that stuff. <laughs> but if I wait around till he dies, then I can definitely help out your ministry. Because, you know, by the looks of things, you need a little financial help here. You guys don't have anywhere to stay. And so Jesus turns to him and says, you know what? Leave the dead to bury their own dead. Wow. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Kind of sobered him up a little bit. Verse 61. I call him Mr. Too Hesitant, by the way. 61. Yet another one said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go say farewell to those who are at my house. Let me go say goodbye to my relatives. I have to tell him I'm going to follow you after all. Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit for the kingdom of God. What's he saying? You know what? You don't have anything in front of me if you're going to follow me. That includes family. That includes children. That includes work. Christ was saying with that one statement, you know what? If you're going to follow me, you better be 100%. Because that's what it's going to take. 
He's Mr. Too Homesick, by the way. It's so important that we understand this, that there's a radical change in the gospel whenever anybody comes to Christ. It's radical. Let's not dumb it down. Let's not take people who are professing Christ into the church and teach them how to be Christians. We don't need to do that. If they're truly Christians, they have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's very capable of teaching them what they need to know. Not that we shouldn't be doing discipleship. We should. But we need to make sure that we're discipling genuine believers, not professing believers. Secondly, it not only involves radical change, it involves change that is supernatural. And we talked about this last week a little bit with Nicodemus. How you have to be born again. And it's only God that can do such a thing. It's a supernatural change that happens. This isn't something that, you know, you start coming to church and you figure out, okay, well, these people don't smoke, they don't swear, so I guess I can't do those things. And then maybe, you know, they do this or they do that, so I'm going to kind of change. I'm going to adapt to this new Christian environment that I find myself in. No, it's something that happens at at the very heart that God supernaturally changes you. When he says there in John 3 that you must be born again, it implies that this birth is from above, born from above. It's not something that happens down here. It's something that God supernaturally imposes on us. It's divinely imparted. That's the only kind of transformation that will secure anybody's assurance. And then the third thing here, it is far-reaching. It is far-reaching. What do I mean by that? It's going to be developed over and over. It's important to understand that this is not the, the end of our spiritual journey. I mean, yeah, you're delivered from sin's judgment. But ultimately, the Bible says that ultimately we will be what? Glorified. Every day we're being sanctified. We're being pressed into the image of Christ. And God uses various trials and tribulations in the body of Christ and personalities to make sure that we're conforming into Christ's image. Well, one day the conforming is going to be gone, done. And we're going to be in that glorified state before our God. See, that's where chapter 5 began and that's where chapter 8 began kind of ends here he says in verse 17 now if we're children then we'll be heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his what his glory Martin Lloyd-Jones stresses that the apostles interest is always in glorification that's the target See, today's church has kind of settled on sanctification. But that doesn't stop there. See, the goal is glorification. And because we're so subjective in our own Christian walks, we're constantly looking at how we can do this better, how we can perform better, how we can... And sometimes we just have to give up and say, you know what, Christ, it's you that does this work in me. It's not me. And in closing here, the third spiritual truth that is so important is that to be a Christian means to be led by God's spirit 
is to be led by God's spirit. I mean, how do we understand how this works out in our lives on a daily basis? I mean, up to this point, really, the doctrines that we've been talking about might be thought to refer to a change of status only, you might say. In other words, before we were in Adam, now we're in Christ. Before we were under condemnation, now there's no condemnation. Before we were spiritually dead, but now we're spiritually alive. And that's true. But it's not the only truth that he's teaching because our change of status has been accomplished by the Holy Spirit who lives in every genuine Christian. And if you're a Christian here today, then you find yourself being led by that same Spirit. It means that he is continually to work out that holiness in our lives, that sanctification process each and every day. And this is the way verse 14 is tied to the previous one. Look at what it says there in verse 14. He says, For those who are led by the Spirit of are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Well, how do you know? Well, look at verse 13. If you are living according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. Are you just living in unabashed sin and calling yourself a Christian with no checks, no convictions? I would say very boldly, you're probably not in Christ if that be your situation. Because the Bible very clearly says that if you are being led by the Spirit, if you are living according to the Spirit, then you will be putting to death the deeds of sin in your life. And it's not going to be perfect. We're not teaching sinless perfection here. But we are teaching Christ-likeness. We are teaching holiness. We are teaching that there should come a point in time in your Christian walk where there are changes in your behavior some may happen right away some may happen later but there should become a time when you can look back and say wow this is what i was and this is what i am and praise god this is what i'm going to be one day next week we're going to continue in this study and we're going to be talking a little bit about adoption and what that means that god has adopted us into his glorious family Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who truly saves. That you don't give up on us, even when we've given up on ourselves. Lord, we pray for anyone here this morning who is carrying burdens that they cannot no longer carry. Father, your word indicates that we should bring these burdens to you. And we should cast them at your feet. We could let, let you deal with these burdens in our life as we trust you to be our Lord and Savior. And Father, we pray this morning that you would um, dismiss us from this place, knowing that we can have full assurance in our salvation when that assurance is based on your work in our life and not our own. Father, that we would see you work even mightier in the days and weeks and years to come as you conform us more and more into the image of Christ. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. 
It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.